0: This is a Headgum Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my god, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. uh, So you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code FAKETHENATION at the checkout, and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today. You'll get 40% off. Use the promo code FAKETHENATION. Go to trymiracle.com slash FAKETHENATION. Nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fakethenation and use the code Nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fakethenation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Maid, for sponsoring this episode.
1: Fake the Nation, episode 303.
0: Hey, everybody. Nagin Farsad here. I'm jumping in to interrupt myself to mention that after we recorded this episode, which was oddly early because of my work schedule, there was a leak that has since been confirmed that SCOTUS would be overturning Roe v. Wade, leaving authority to regulate abortions up to the state. Now, this is obviously totally shitty and terrible it sucks a boatload of dicks and it's really heinous there's no sugarcoating that but as a few of you have seemed to indicate from your dms and from phone calls i've gotten from friends we may need a note of optimism uh and so i just wanted to say real quick Who knows? This could ignite a fire under voters' butts before a midterm election that people have been pretty indifferent about. It could mean that state legislatures strengthen their positions on abortion, as California is planning to do with their constitution. It could also mean that our actual Congress passes a law to protect women. And it might mean a backlash against Republicans, because for more than two decades, national polling has consistently shown that a majority of Americans support legal abortion. So, this is a really unpopular thing to do. So, I know we're all really dif- distressed. And unfortunately, me and the panel won't be talking about it at all today. But we will be back in your earballs next week with more fully formulated thoughts and opinions. And until then, our resident women's rights expert, Liz Winstead, who you hear on this panel all the time, um, who's also the founder of Abortion Access Front, she suggests going to operationsaveabortion.com or to aafront.com, that's abortionaccessfront.com, to see what you can do to help. I'll also be tweeting out some resources, and the wisdom on the streets is to always look to your local leaders on abortion rights to see what you can do locally. Uh, So... I'm so sorry to present the news this way um, but we're gonna be okay and it's just it's just not the timeline we had hoped for but uh, we'll talk more about that next week and um, all right I hope you guys are okay. Hello, hello, and welcome to Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we say happy Eid to all our Muslims out there, and what the hell to all of our non-Muslims, whoever chose to spend the last 30 days being nice and giving charity. I am your primary Muslim podcast host, who is only very questionably a good muz. Nevertheless, we celebrate, and we're actually taping on a Monday this week, which is a little earlier than normal, so if there's news striking, we'll miss it. But instead, we're going to give you a slightly breezier and fun episode of Fake the Nation, because Today, we're going to talk about the Pity Me Personal Essay, about Goblin Mode, what is that, oh God, and about what Baby Boomers got right about parenting. We don't really credit them with anything, so we're going to do that today. Uh, And, oh my God, today's panel is so exciting. I am joined by um comedian and producer. She's never been on this show before, but I have been. We were just trying to figure out what other shows we have done together. Um she's got a show called Adult Sex Ed that she does on both coasts that you should absolutely see live because it is a thrilling experience. It is the one and only Danny Faith Leonard. Hey Danny. Hi. Good morning. And also joining us, uh, you've heard him on this show many, many times. And I just noticed that his episode of What I Lie to You on The CW just dropped because we're both in that series. So double the reason to watch What I Lie to You on The CW. Um, and I can't wait to watch your episode. I have it. Uh, it's, it's in my, um, you know, to-do list. And... <laughs> Like, oh, you know how everyone has like a to-do list of things that are on their DVR. Yes, I still have a DVR. What? Come at me. Um, And uh, very excitingly, he has a new newsletter. It's called newmusicforolds.substack.com. It's Christian Finnegan.
1: Huzzah. How are you, Actually, I'm
0: really excited. I'm really good. And I'm excited about your new newsletter, newmusicforolds.substack.com, because I feel like I hear new music, I listen to this French radio station, don't worry about it. And so like I hear new music, but I never like I never like know who who it's by and I don't know what's really going on. So it's like I might be able to sing along to a tune occasionally, but I don't know. And I don't know, is it this, you know, is it their first album? Is it their twentieth? Like I just don't mm-hmm. know what's going on, you know? And so I feel like your newsletter would speak to me very specifically, even though I don't categorize myself as an old.
1: Well, uh, the world does, so uh, I mean, not, I'm, I'm not <laughs> Disagree mean, but... with world! <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm more speaking to myself there. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of people, and a lot of my friends who were music geeks in their 20s and 30s, you know, they have kids, they have jobs, they just don't have the mental bandwidth to dig through stupid music blogs and click on new releases and whatnot. I do have that time, because I right. don't have kids. or nice much of a career so you're you're, you're
0: serving your purpose then for the rest of us yeah (laughs) exactly by the way you you'll love this christian i you know the spotify wrapped at the end of the year is always like a fun occasion to see what you've been listening to and i opened my wrapped and it, it was all Farsi nursery rhymes, and I felt completely robbed. Obviously, <laughs> I'm not listening to Farsi nursery rhymes for myself. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so my my child hijacked. I'm I'm sure like next this year's is going to be a combination of Farsi nursery rhymes and the Encanto soundtrack. Uh, so that's what's going to happen to my Spotify rep. Kids, this year.
1: yeah, that that seems to be the uh, Encanto. That's the new Let It Go, I guess. Oh
0: yeah, it's, and it's I think I think. I'm lucky. I haven't even seen like Frozen yet or whatever. Like I haven't been exposed to that world, but I think I'm very lucky to be a part of cohort of parents that don't have to do. I don't like seeing Frozen landscapes in general, uh animated or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're depressing.
2: They're the depressing. Enca- the Encanto landscape is beautiful. I don't have kids, but I have right, I have but- nieces. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, man.
0: Exactly. It's so much more colorful and like, you know, it's like I don't need to do like the Revenant but animated form or whatever, you know, which is how (laughs) I envision. I don't don't
1: think it's that stressful. No,
0: I'm pretty sure Elsa climbs (laughs) into a dead horse. I'm pretty sure that happens at some point. All right. Let's get into it, folks. Uh, Oh, no. You know what? Before we get into topic number one, I just want to remind everyone this podcast will drop on Thursday morning. And so I will have already performed at the Irvine Improv and we'll see how that goes down but you still will have a chance I think to buy. There's a few tickets left at the Worcester show um, at Ralph's Rock Diner in Worcester. It is of all, I've said this before, but of all of the venues i performed at, I've gotten more emails about this one venue and people loving it. Um, People who don't live there anymore being like, oh I wish I could see you at Ralph's. Like just ridiculous fans of the venue. So I think you should come for the venue and then stay for me I guess is how how i would describe uh friday's show may six at ralph's all right let us get into topic number one so we read a piece in gawker called the pity me personal essay in which the author rachel Connolly um, finds quote recent personal writing to be tiresome it's too often defined by melodrama humorlessness and excessive self-pity um now my i mean you know my question first is like did did this description of the personal essay, or the current personal essay strike you, as true. And I think we can include in that other forms of personal writing, including the stand-up special, the monologue, right, like those <laughs> kinds of shows um, that maybe the three of us are more familiar with. Uh, Cause I, I'm, I'm looking at you two and I'm thinking, do they even read? You know what I mean? So yeah. let's just expand our <laughs> definition. No, but I mean, it, I, I think once I started reading the essay, a lot of it sort of, I was just like, oh yeah, there is a lot of this and there is a a lot of that so I don't know how did you feel reading the piece and with that with
2: that thesis uh the part of it that really struck an, a nerve with me because it's the thing that I that I've noticed a lot there's a lot of people writing about writing
0: Oh, I'm uh-huh, uh-huh. and and
2: talking about the things that you can't say anymore and or the things that yeah. you can't write anymore. And, the you know, uh, there is there's a ton of that. I think every comedy show that you go to, there's someone who's talking about that every, you know, um, I, I, it seems to be this this theme that uh, I wish that people just wouldn't include that caveat in their piece that they're writing about themselves, about the things that you just can't write about anymore, and that they're probably going to have to come before a firing squad after they yeah, write this thing, piece. Yeah, that thing.
0: It's just a boring... We've heard it so many times. Yeah.
1: It's so boring. Yeah, I mean, we've all we've all been... We've all had that rush of feeling when you tweet something and people take issue with it, justifiably or not, that, that sort of rush of blood to your head when you realize that like people are coming at you. And it, of course, it's, a, it's not a pleasant feeling, but it really seems like the fear of that moment seems to rule people's lives now in a way that yeah. is not justified or healthy. It's like, you know, the the whole touch grass thing. You know, I, I feel like everybody needs to just... There's more to life than your social media mentions. You know, that sounds very obvious, but...
0: Right, and, and, and the little, like, super, super, super specific little fights you are getting into on whatever social media platform, like, that, There, it's... It's not as big as you think it is, you know. Yeah. Um, the other, you know, so here's a couple of other things she said. She said, you know, that some of this writing, um, the the it's it's intensely melodramatic depictions of experiences or feelings about experiences, which which just aren't that bad, and that like reminded me um, of the uh, essay about the date with Aziz Ansari, which sort of also mildly upended his life or temporarily upended his life um because it got wrapped up into a me too scenario and then you know obviously like you can have different opinions of what that essay was about but it was a little but for many people reading it the essay was just like oh so you went on a bad date or whatever like <laughs> you yeah. know, and but it was presented the, the I do think that there's something about that I say where the melodrama was there about something that it was that was far worse or that that it, it also sort of like um, broadened the experience to like womanhood as opposed to you know just like a a, a quintessential um, bad date. What is your take on like people kind of bigifying um, something (laughs) that is maybe not a big deal. Danny, do you feel like that happens a lot?
2: Yeah. And I wonder if it's that people used to take more time with things like a personal essay and now people are so um, pressured to churn out content that they don't give things enough time to settle in. And so it, maybe there's not that perspective yet of you know like there was a a time uh last year where i was going through what I felt like was a really difficult time. And if I had written an essay about it, we would be making fun of it right now. (laughs) But thankfully it's six months later and I'm not gonna write an essay about it. (laughs) Right, right.
0: And you're like, I have some perspective and it was like, it sucked, but it's over and it's fine or whatever. Yeah, exactly. She
1: brings up exactly to me, the the collision of two kind of cultural trends, the sort of rise of content And all that that implies, the the sort of lack of quality control, the the sort of just sheer number of essays that come out, the lack of money that people get for writing them. So therefore, the bar of what it should be written about is much lower. You know what I mean? That that if if you were getting paid like a real journalist, maybe you would step out of your own dumb life for 30 seconds and write something (laughs) that had some insight or took some research or work. And, and then also just the, the sort of the smallness of people's lives, especially in COVID era. You know, that, that people just, they don't they do not do stuff. No, we haven't been out. We haven't been interacting with people. And so what do you write about? You write about what you know, which is being on fucking Twitter all day, you know, and right, being on right. social that media. That becomes
0: an experience that feels like largely, you know, she talked about, quote, the trauma plot um where we seem to this is from the piece we seem to have created a climate where even stories which aren't particularly sad or serious are spun out spun as if they are um and that as a writer you should seek to make readers feel sorry for you rather than having them relate to you so that's where the the pity me uh, part of this article comes into play there is a I think Uh, I can talk about this from, like, the perspective of someone, a person of color, and I worry about this with my stand-up, right, because I'm, as listeners know, I'm doing a new hour, I'm trying to figure it out, and it does involve me talking about myself and my family, and there's a lot of, like, you know, uh, stuff in there about, you know, race and identity or whatever. I'm trying very desperately not to make it, it's, uh, yes, there have been some struggles, whatever. But also like, I don't want to do the trauma plot like and I find it difficult because when you're talking about your own life and especially as comedians, we what we do is sort of like make something small into a bigger deal for a joke. Hopefully the laugh mitigates the desire for me to kind of place myself within a victimhood frame like I don't Mm -hmm. want to be seen in that way. But at the same time, I still want to be able to talk about stuff. And so. I, am you know, I, it's like, it's funny Is I, I've been worried about this for a long time, putting together this hour, but now that I'm, you know, I read this piece, I was just like, make sure you worry about it a little more, like go back to the, like, go back to the writing, make sure, like, is it, I think, especially in, when we're looking at the rise of, like, POC writing. Uh, which I feel like we're experiencing right now. And I know maybe you guys are nervous that I'm saying any of these things. So, like, don't, I mean, you know. <laughs>
1: this sounds like, like CRT to me, and I, 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 I'm resisting
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I think right now we're also experiencing a wonderful spike in hearing from people of color. How great is that, right? But in, but with it, we're also hearing a lot of just, like, the the negative stories about being a person of color or whatever and I it which is understandable because it's difficult right so I'm not trying to take that away from anyone please don't suggest that I am but I also am like as as me just from me I would love to from my contribution to be just a different vision of it and that is more uplifting and it's just not so fucking bad. Like I want to be the like Brown patriotic American optimist like that. I would love for that to be a genre. And so <laughs> I don't know any th- thoughts on that. Do you feel comfortable saying anything about what I just
2: said? So in addition to comedy, I also produce films and um, a-, a lot of my, Filmmaker friends have complained about when they're trying to get their stories made that people seem to only still want to make uh, films about slavery and films about negative experiences and they have a harder time getting the positive experiences made. So hopefully there will be a trend in the opposite direction as well.
0: Right, because it's it's not only just like, you know, me and my ilk writing our victim pieces, but also it's like what the market seems to demand, uh, you know, or want from us or whatever, so that it could be, so that we can sort of all be like, we're so cool, we're like helping a Muslim woman with her voice or whatever, you know what I mean? (laughs) A little bit of that. Um, I also, let me see, I had one more thing I wanted to ask you guys about... um, Oh, this part of the piece I thought was really interesting. Uh, She points out about millennial cultural commentators that they sort of, quote, invent terms like productivity dysmorphia or competitive exhaustion to add a medicalized aura of gravity to their tirades, detailing the demands of professional life in our, quote, capitalist hellscape or whatever. And I, first of all, we've spent and in topic number two, we'll spend again time with these made up terms <laughs> and it doesn't feel like there's a proliferation of them. What did you think of that?
1: Well, I mean, that's kind of part of the, the meme economy too. It's like everyone wants to coin the the phrase that everyone uses, you know, when uh, Nathan Rabin came up with um, Manic Pixie Dream Girl, whatever, 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. That's like, to me, that's like probably the, the Acme of being able to be a cultural influencer is to come yep. up with it a term. So if you're the, if you're the person who comes up with goblin mode or competitive dysmorphia or whatever, that, that, that is a, a currency within your industry as a blogger slash semi-journalist. Um, I mean, one of the, I think when you were talking before about how you don't want it to be all so heavy and going through your new hour, I think one of the advantages we have coming from a comedy background is that there is a a metric that we can use
3: yeah (laughs) uh to
1: judge success which is hard people laughing yeah 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 yeah. whereas when you're writing these personal essays you're just completely in your own navel and so i don't think you fully appreciate what the reader experience of your dumb not very interesting problems is going to be
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah danny do you ever find yourself uh using terms like productivity dysmorphia
2: uh no, I, and I try not to, but uh unless they're real <laughs> medical terms, no, I, I'm sure I do, but I um I think that that's like another this other cultural thing of everyone wants to be the first at yeah. something. Yeah. So yeah. if it's not if it's not coining phrases, it's like I I have friends who like have made up uh, a dance move that went viral on TikTok. And like that just becomes their, their whole new identity. Like I invented this <laughs> dance. And I'm like, that's, who cares? Wait, yeah. so
0: <laughs> I have a, like a legitimate question. Um, this is like, this should go into Christian's newsletter uh, about uh, new music for old. It's like, uh, t- is inventing a TikTok dance that goes viral how much of their identity is it like is how long does it last like that period of them uh, shining under the glow of a a viral dance i'm just very curious that's a
2: very good question i feel like um with there are two specific people who i'm thinking about i feel like they're still riding the wave so i don't know yet okay but uh i've seen people's twitter bios
1: i've seen people's twitter bios that mention like creator of the blank hashtag and it's just like, really? This okay. this is this is going on your CV now.
0: <laughs> I know it's so funny. Well, I mean, in some ways, it's sort of like we're like giving ourselves permission to to have created something so fucking minor and give ourselves credit for that. Whereas, you know, like a normal Twitter bio would be like, author of the book, you know, yeah. author of this published work, author, you know, director of this feature film that one, you know, that I slaved over, you know, whatever. And now we can just really just like a micro amount of, of, of content creation and we could just like talk about it forever. Uh, which I am going to be honest, I don't love. I don't love that. All right folks let me know what you think um about the pity me i I thought this was a really lovely essay it's in gawker um and it's again it's called the pity me personal essay uh what do you think i'm curious to hear your thoughts and we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we will continue discussing
3: HeadGum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames dot com. Use code HeadGum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be
0: surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? back and let us get into topic number two apparently there's a new term for what people are doing with their personal time it's called goblin mode uh it's basically the opposite of getting dressed and living your life or whatever it's like (laughs) <laughs> staying in your jammies and like, you know, with only you know, putting ketchup on toast and calling that breakfast. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, um, I'm going to be honest. It's a, it's a mode of existence. I don't identify with. Where do you stand on goblin mode and the formalization of goblin mode with the term goblin mode?
1: Ah, uh, I mean, it's, I certainly, I recognize it as a thing, but I don't know that it's like, Necessarily a 2022 inter, you know, invention. I, I mean, I do think the pandemic exhaustion has had something to do with it. You know, I know in that uh, one of the articles that you emailed us, you know, it talks about how it's sort of a contrast to the cottage core uh, trend of the early pandemic when everyone was fixing up their houses and getting right. all nested. Right. Which we like talked that. about
0: cottage core on Fake the Nation. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, um, you know, it's just being a slob, I guess, which is. <laughs> To me this is clearly something invented by uh, a woman and I don't mean that as an insult because guys are just like yeah that's just my We've life. We've been doing like, like... <laughs> goblin
0: mode.
1: <laughs> this is not a new thing.
2: Danny, where are you at? I I find it really hard to relate to goblin mode. Uh I was I was raised with like a fair amount of guilt where like I I don't know how to lounge around in sweatpants for days and 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 like glorify that uh my grandma was the the kind of woman who um she would wake up in the morning before my grandfather woke up, run into the bathroom, put on lipstick and then get back in bed. Like it never happened.
0: That's from um, a scene from marvelous. <laughs> Miss Mazel's, by the way. I know, yeah, was and yes. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: oh and and bridesmaids, bridesmaids. Right. yeah. But that's
0: a different, like a one night stand or whatever. Yeah, that's different. Yeah. We've all done that.
2: But the, uh, but living <laughs> that way is another story. Totally. And um, when that, when that episode aired, my sister called me and she was like, you have to watch the show. It's grandma. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like growing up, I like if I wasn't put together, I heard about it from my family. And oh, so, nice. like, I I think it it sticks with me a little bit, as, but not in a not necessarily in a bad way. It's like a, I think they they correlated putting yourself together with self-respect. And like I and so I, I don't really I don't really mind it. But like I find Goblin Mode to be really hard to relate to. Um, and especially the formalizing it with a name, because yeah, Yeah. of course I've had different points during the pandemic where I never got out of yoga clothes.
0: Right. I mean, I think it's like, it's, I, I feel like since the beginning of time, people have taken a morning or maybe even an entire day where they don't look their best and they're not that productive i think the difference is now that we're taking pride in it and this term gobble mode like it is a hashtag like you can find it on all of your miserable social medias like that is the difference is this weird pride in it whereas where the way you grow up where people made you feel bad about like having a morning of messy hair um it there's because because there's no pride you know, for your family, there was no pride in looking bad. Mm. <laughs> you know right. I mean, whereas now there's just like this whole like it's a movement, and I just feel like first of all, everyone needs to stop living alone. I, that's my first. But like, <laughs> do, you need if you just have a, a minor feeling like a, there's another human being in your life who may see the boogers smeared on your face like let's let live with that like let's feel that pressure and throw on some outfits and wash our faces and like do i am totally i don't i really thought and i still believe it's time for just like us to go into not gobble mode and all this shit, but to go into like a nineteen sixties three piece suit era, I want to see uh, you will.
1: You, I absolutely refuse. I mean, I, I put like, not any, but any I mean, I but I, but
0: interestingly, <laughs> Christian is someone who always has his hair on point, like known in the comedy community as having. A face and a hair that is always beautiful. That, that's kind of good to um say. you know what I mean? It, so I think your your uh your self um identification is like you're like closer to mad men than you think. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. I just I just feel like what Danny, would it be? It's like, is it so wrong? for me to just want everyone to try just get wait like wake up and try a
1: little. but see you know i didn't totally buy into the philosophy of goblin mode and i still don't but hearing you opine against it it does make me understand the full slightly that's like no i resist what you're trying to say what you're trying to do to me right. that i don't i'm not responsible to pre- make myself presentable for your aesthetic enjoy, like, I, I don't, maybe I'm reading into it, but I think if there is any sort of intellectual backing to it, which there isn't, it's just a dumb meme, uh, <laughs> it, it, it is a resistance to sort of having to be presentable for someone else's aesthetic choices. Consumption, I think. right. Yeah.
0: I mean, It's it's that. But also, I sort of am like, are we not all do it feels like a fraying of the social contract? It's like if we start all wearing sweatpants, does that mean we're all going to start like parking in the red? you know in front of fire (laughs) hydrants does it mean we're all like are we gonna start being dicks to each other oh by the way we have started to be dicks to each other (laughs) like it to me it symbolizes a fraying of the social contract is that is that is that like am i is am i am i doing what
2: the pity me personal essay right now i'm making a big deal out of nothing Uh, maybe but i also i wonder and i don't i don't I, I haven't really formed a theory on this, but like I wonder when people started to dress like shit on airplanes,
0: mm-hmm.
2: did the did the number of fights on airplanes increase. increase? Oh, I'd love to see that data.
0: Sociologists out there listening to the show, <laughs> I know there are a few of you. Can you put together that data? Because that would that speaks to my social contract theory, right? I do there is mm-hmm. something about kind of like buttoning a shirt and then going on an airplane and like behaving like an adult like you know when when um you know they say like dress like the job you want to have or whatever Mm -hmm. or like Meryl Streep will wear the costumes or something I think Meryl Streep does this but anyways tons of actors do this where they'll wear the costume of the character to like help them get in the character that I think is part of it. It's just like wearing the thing makes you. I'm not gonna act like a schlubby garbage person if I'm wearing a cute dress. Like, it does change my behavior. You yeah, know what I mean,
1: certainly change, when I'm wearing a cute dress, it definitely affects my <laughs>
0: behavior. <laughs> um, all right, folks. Let me know what is your um, what is your take on Goblin Mode? By the way, one of the things here again this is one of the things that was in the article the goblin mode is the is kind of the opposite and, and whoever said this said it anonymously they wouldn't want not want to credit themselves goblin mode is kind of the opposite of trying to better yourself um and and i think that's the kind of energy that we're giving uh going into 2022 everyone just kind of wild and insane right now and i again i think like it's all about your mindset going into this thing. If you're like, I'm going to let this sweat these sweatpants dictate my life philosophy, <laughs> like it means that yeah, your It life is a chicken and an egg kind of thing, sucks. yeah.
1: I mean, it does sort of feed into that burn it all down sort of philosophy, which yeah. is definitely kind of coming to the fore for a lot of people. And I understand on some level, especially if you just kind of look at the oligarchy that's sort of developing in the United States between Bezos and Zuckerberg and whatever, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it tends to be like, wait, why am I trying to, you know, be a part of this? Like, you know, screw it. I'm wearing sweatpants and I'm burning it all down. Like, who cares? You know, I... Again, though, I really think it's just people looking for a fun, catchy, pithy way to describe being a slob. Exactly <laughs> Again,
0: like <laughs> as in earlier what we saw. Okay. Uh, folks, hit me up. Let me know. What do you think? Are you doing goblin mode or are you rebelling against it as I hope that you do? And now let's get into it with topic number three. So we read a piece in the Times about what boomers got right on parenting and it's called Your Kids Can Handle Dangerous Ideas. And... In it, the uh, author, Matt Gross, starts with a story of their kid asking if they can skip school. And he, you know, says to the kid, like, you, you no, know, you can't skip school. But then sort of secretly thought, God, I wish they would just skip school and not ask me, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Which I feel like, is exactly right I mean, I only have a toddler, but like I also hope that she does some things without me knowing you know <laughs> and and it sort of um in in and, and so the you know the author talks a lot about parenting using uh, we were all uh, raised by boomers, I imagine. Um, what is it that these boomers got right about parenting? And one of, the, one of the things is just sort of having a little bit more of a laissez-faire attitude and kind of like not knowing and not knowing every detail of a kid's life. Uh, what did you think of this piece?
1: I, I know that, that uh, some of it, and again, this, all three of the topics today kind of come back to the way technology is sort of oh, yeah. affecting our brains. Yeah. Uh, kids, you know, parents couldn't helicopter as much back then because there was no way to monitor if you were if you were a working parent and your kid got out of school at 2 30 or whatever and you know you wouldn't really be able to monitor them that closely until you got home from work and so unless you were going to drive yourself insane, you had to sort of let go of the rope a little right. bit. You had to and just so, have you know,
0: faith that it was working yeah, you, they're out. They're going to go over
1: Pete's house and they're going to ride bikes around the neighborhood for a few hours whatever. And that was just, you just accepted that that was the case. I mean, obviously now you can basically have a tracking device on your kid 24 hours a day and, that's going to change the way you parent. But your I even
0: have to say, like in terms of having a toddler who doesn't have any technology in her on her person, when we're at the playground, there's also, I, you know, there's a difference between parents who are like really, really minutely and constantly monitoring, like what slide their kid is on and all that stuff. You know, and me, I think I have a little, I'm a little looser with that. Like I do want her to like learn how to play on her own and learn how to make friends on her own and just like me having nothing to do with it, you know, and and does that mean that like I might turn away for a moment and she could fall like that is exactly what that means, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. so and so it can be scary, uh, but also like I'm not sure how well she would grow, you know,
2: Uh, Danny, what did you think? Um. That's so interesting. I wasn't really thinking that much about technology when I was reading it. But that is true that we that we were really unmonitored for a lot of a lot of the time. And ultimately, I think that was a really good thing. And I I remember I had a friend growing up and her parents were like the hovering parents. And we thought they were so weird, but they probably <laughs> act like most Right. People today, you know, they mm-hmm. controlled everything she ate. They controlled, like, you know, they had a very specific diet that they that they wanted her to stick to. They were, like, the healthy parents, and everyone else was, like, feeding their kids Chef Boyardee. Right. And we, th- we thought they were so strange, and they wanted to make sure she never got hurt, and, you know, they, they – and she was an only child. And they were around all the time, and it drove the rest of us insane, but also we thought they were so weird. And I think my my parents, like – found a really great balance, I think, where I was able to go and tell them anything if I wanted to, I could talk with them about oh, most nice. things. Yeah, yeah. Especially my Wait, mother. We were... Just
0: out of curiosity for my own future parenting, how did they make you feel that way?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we had a lot of. Well, first of all, they they always spoke to us like we were adults. Okay. Which I think I think that maybe was a more boomer parenting thing. Uh huh. Um, they, so, I mean, they had no time for us to act like babies. They spoke, they spoke just like we were adults. And, uh and we just had a lot of conversations around the dinner table. And when I was growing up, when I was young, my parents were still together. So it was really, it was all of us around the dinner table. And um they had a general interest in hearing what happened during our day. And my, my mother would ask the question, what was the funniest thing that happened today? Fun. And that's that's like what that we would talk about. Yeah, it was great, because um, it help, and Then it helps you think that way. Oh, um, yeah. right. But they struck and then, it, then, yeah, and then yeah, and the, the, the comedy, whole,
0: way. Com- yeah, <laughs> comedian. That's is, weird
1: because every night my dad would say, uh, who, "Who needs to pay?" That that's that was what I got. So <laughs> uh, who was to? And, is that uh, real? No, 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 it's not. (laughs) It was implied. It was implied. It's an Irish
0: Right, right, right. But like, yeah, there was, because there were, I think, I mean, if you're watching um, film and television, a little bit of like uh, that kind of I'll beat him up philosophy was a little (laughs) bit more about a part of the 80s and 90s. You know what I mean? (laughs) Totally. It was today. So you, so you think that kind of like um, fostering a thing where you could tell your parents anything While also letting you go and not knowing what you were doing like nine hours out of the day
2: was like pretty good. It was a great balance because if I if something ever went wrong, I knew that I could go to them, but they didn't need to know everything. Right. So I learned how to make my own decisions. I think that that was was really important, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. And you know you sort of see this changing the the I was I was thinking about um I now I'm going to reference Mad Men again for like the 15th time today but like I was remember what was the name of that character who's kind of like a twerpy dude um and his wife made them move to Long Island or whatever to Pete Campbell to- yeah, Pete Campbell. Was, yeah. So, um, so, P, so his wife is like, "We're gonna move to the suburbs. We're gonna get this house, whatever." And he's just like, "Why? You know what I mean? Why would we do that?" And she's like, "Well, well the kids can play in the backyard." And he said, "Well, I played in Central Park, like, it, and I <laughs> turned out just fine, you know." And I think about that because that sort of ca- encapsulates this shift where we are trying to like give children more things and also control the environment in which they experience those things. And I think we we see that starting in the 50s and 60s with the rise of the the, the home, um, that kind of home where you kind of, where where everything is there. and um, and also this era where there were um, stay-at-home moms and stuff like that that like, I, oddly, I also talked about a statistic recently that when moms today spend more time, and this actually speaks directly to this thing. Moms today spend more time with their children. Working full-time, working moms spend more time with their children today than moms did than stay-at-home moms in the '60s, right? That so it's surprise like me at
1: we, all. That we, it doesn't right exactly—it's <laughs> yeah. not
0: surprising at all.
1: Also, I think that you know. There was a kid, I've I've used this metaphor to describe Twitter, but I think it kind of describes life in general. There was a kid that I, you know, knew in like third grade. And at lunch, he would take, it was a thing he would do. He would take all the food on his tray and put it in like a big swirl and like a goulash. Uh,
0: uh And and
1: no matter what it was, you know, milk, ice cream sandwich, tacos, whatever, (laughs) and just stir it and then eat it. And everybody would be like, ew. And he'd be like, it's all going the same place. And that's what he would say. And that's the way life feels to me now. That's the way
3: (laughs) way Twitter feels.
1: Like, oh, my mom died. Here's a funny video of my cat. You know, it's all just.
0: Right, right, right. Right.
1: And and I think that that's sort of the way it is with life in general. It's like you're parenting, you're work, like you're never working or not working. Things used to be very compartmentalized. It's like your parents yeah. would go to work and then they'd come home and then you'd have dinner and then you'd watch TV. Whereas now you're 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 watching TV while you're eating, while you're getting work emails and while you're yeah. parenting and it's just all this just goulash. You know. One
0: of the things I, I, I don't know if you guys saw the movie Licorice Pizza, but Licorice Pizza is it looks seems like an ode to Paul Thomas Anderson's kind of child life in the seventies, sixties and seventies or whatever. I think it takes place in the seventies and at that time they're like teenagers in the story. And um and they're just like up to wild shit. Right It's like also a time Where like You know In the story Like this 8 17 year old 16 year old kid Or whatever Like starts a business You know what I mean It starts multiple (laughs) businesses And he's like selling I'm not giving anything away But he's like selling um, Water beds and stuff And, And then you see him Like you know Bring his other siblings In on it And other neighborhood kids And they're like Running around Moving water beds And they shouldn't be They're like 12 Some of these kids And 11 and 10 Right And and it's like, the, and it does seem like, wow, were the '70s just like nuts? Like, did kids just do whatever? Because that's what the movie makes it feel like—that kids were just up to no good all the time, and somehow nobody died. You know, you know these
1: you know these these, uh, these bad apples out there selling waterbeds. You know these
0: kids.
1: <laughs> <laughs> these dare do wells. <laughs>
0: So here's another question um, about this phenomenon, which is that right now we're seeing a lot of, you know, we, you talked about CRT, Christian, in topic number one. There's this, like, movement to ban a lot of stuff that's happening at schools. So either it's the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida, or it's just, like, you know, banning books in, in whatever school district. Um, and it's interesting because that's, like, cons- that's like theoretically conservative parents who want to control what their kids are reading and seeing. In school, uh, but so is there a conservative-liberal divide on this idea? Because oddly, liberal parents aren't trying to ban stuff at school, so far as I can tell, but they may be a little, you know, but they may be like, you know, we don't have, we don't consume refined sugars, and they want to control. <laughs> Like, and make sure that the muffins are sweetened with coconut sugar, you know? And so, so there, so where is the liberal conservative divide? Uh, Like, for example, the author said, in the story, that they um, they let their kid watch Attack on Titan, which is like a luridly violent anime series with fascist undertones, and they were like, okay, with them watching that. But at the same time, they didn't want them watching 90 Day Fiance and becoming Kardashian curious because, quote, they can tell fantasy from reality, but reality TV from reality, that's trickier. And I thought that was interesting because it's like, oh, that's such a, you know, A a weird specific line to draw about media consumption. Is there a liberal conservative divide here that's like odd?
1: Well, I mean, certainly the conservatives like to act as if only the left is censorious and, uh, you know, helicoptering you know they, they the, the the sort of the whole thing is like oh we're about freedom of choice and doing what we want and these liberals want to tell you how to live it's like really cuz it feels like you also want to tell people how to live it's just right. you want to tell them how to live differently you know I, right. I think it's it's something that's infected the the body politic in general it's just this idea of whatever i don't like is wrong you know in 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 <laughs> right you know that that i you know that these things need to be taken off of the menu if 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 I personally don't like them,
0: I mean, did either of your parents even engage in like this shouldn't be happening in your school type? I I don't remember anything like that with my parents. So that ever happened to you, Danny? And are you you have no. a, some fun things to
2: say about your folks, which I, really I love? Yeah, I I have more <laughs> fun things as it pertains to this too. Oh, okay. I because I, I grew up I grew up on Long Island. And it, you know, I, I feel like Long Island's a place where every town is completely different. Okay. And the uh, politically, and it, you know, you cross over this border, and suddenly it's like you've entered another state. Mm-hmm. Um. And so the high school that I went to was in a really conservative town, and uh, and so they were banning things before that was like a trend. Um. So we had abstinence-only sex ed in school. And Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, because in, wow. in New York, in, interesting. in New York, uh, every school district can do what they want uh, because there's okay. no mandated sex ed. And then at home, my mom was actually a sex ed teacher in a different school um, where she taught everything. And so at home, we had all of these great conversations. And then I would go to school and experience something really different. That is so uh, odd. So I feel like this whole banning things that you learn in school. Um, I mean, it's, it's been around forever. And I think there are, there are certain time periods where, you know, you experience these peaks and valleys where maybe that's not the focus. And that, it seems to be like the focus that was on banning sex ed. That was a, like a big part of, of me growing up there. There were so many discussions about it. Um, that seems to be like the thing that's starting to come around again.
0: Yeah, like, it's just a cycle. Like, we're just doing the same fucking thing. I just, re- the only thing I remember, like, from the 90s is, again, my parents were like, we're immigrants. We don't know what the fuck. Like, you guys just teach her. Just teach her. You know what I mean? Like, and you, we'll let you figure that out. But, like, we got to see you later because we're trying to survive. Um, yeah, but I, I, can't, but it, I can't
1: remember one incident of my parents investing any thought into what happened at my school. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. Right. Other than like, was I behave, was I behaving and were my grades okay? Like that was that was the extent of it, really. No,
0: and it's funny because like I talk to other parents sometimes, and I've I think I learned a lot. I you know where you we we only know what we've been exposed to, and I was exposed to that kind of parenting where like my parents did not ask very much about what was happening at school, and um and. I was like a self-cleaning oven. Like they didn't really need, you know, it was, it was fine. And I, I've talked to some other parents about like what's happening in in our my kids, like literally 3K, like preschool. And I, and I hear some parents be like, you know, I feel like sometimes I do too many worksheets. And I was like – Oh, is that, is that, I didn't even, is that something I need to, too many words, is that? <laughs> that bad, is that bad Should it, you know what I mean? Like, what did they do instead of work? Like, I don't know. And, and I was just like, man, it doesn't even occur to me to ask those questions. It doesn't even, like, I, it just seems like she seems happy and learning things. Like, that's all I know. And, and obviously, so sometimes I feel bad because culture makes you want to feel bad all the time (laughs)
2: because
0: i'm like oh my god i should be more involved and i should know every aspect of each part of her day like why don't i know you know and other times i'm just like no like i like her teacher like that's enough you know like i don't need to know specifically which workbook you know what i mean uh so i feel like there's room for all of this. Also, in closing, I just want to say, let's all be Danny's parents. <laughs> you
2: know I mean? yeah. That sounds really Very nice. Right? They didn't get They didn't get everything right, but, you know, th- <laughs> but these particular things, they did really well.
0: They did really well. And, you know, you, you fucking turned out pretty great. So I'm going to just say Thanks. again, let's all be Danny's parents. It's the, you know, the, the title of my next personal <laughs> essay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, my God. That is the end of of the show. And it was so delightful chatting with you both. I, I'm so grateful that you were both on the show. What I would like is for the people of Faith the Nation to be able to find you and all the wonderful things that you do. Danny Faith
2: Leonard, where do they do that? Um I would say, oh, my God, all of these conversations about how bad social media is. But please find me on social media. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, every week. This is the dichotomy that we uh, deal with. (laughs) Totally.
2: I'm uh, Danny F. Leonard on on most platforms.
0: Definitely follower. Definitely um, see when you can see uh, a live show of um, Badalde Sex Ed. Christian Finnegan, where do people find you?
1: Uh, can be found on ye olde twitter machine at, uh, at Christ Finnegan and uh, I don't really do Instagram but you can follow me there too if you're really bored and, um, yeah, if you're interested in kind of hearing a, it's very low commitment, this newsletter, it's like three songs every other week. And then it's just some goofy jokes, uh, new music for And, uh, I have, uh, my latest comedy special show your work is streaming on prime video as we speak
0: oh my god you know uh first of all everyone should watch christian's comedy special i have had the uh pleasure of watching him work live many times and he's so good and it is so fun and so you have the opportunity now to watch that special you should definitely use that opportunity um and uh again subscribe to the new newsletter and I just want to point out to you guys, folks, I've been mentioning some of the dates where I'm headlining. Um, like I said, if you if you get this podcast before Friday, I'm going to be at Ralph's Rock Diner in Worcester. But I'm also going to be at um, Joe's Pub again in, on May 21st and May 22nd. I'm going to be at Joe's Pub again. I had a wonderful first show there. Thanks so much for Fake the Nation listeners who came out. Um, so again, May 21st and May 22nd, come out to Joe's Pub. Again, I'm headlining. And then um, you can see me at the Solid Sound Festival uh, it, at Mass Mocha. It's the Wilco fe- Festival. There's going to be some really amazing bands there. It feels ridiculous that I am among the cool people. Um, but uh, John Hodgman, the Honorable John Hodgman, who's been on this show, um, is is having me be a part of the Solid Sound Festival, and I'm very grateful. I'm also joining the Wait Wait stand-up tour so I'm gonna be uh, on June twenty-fourth, I'm gonna be at Salt Lake City, and on June twenty-fifth I'm gonna be at Denver. And so it's just it's a terrific lineup of panelists from Wait Wait Don't Tell Me. Uh, so you can see me on um, in Denver and Salt Lake. Uh, I hope you come out. It'll be a good time. I mean, you know, and it's not even for me. You're going to have a good time because of the other comedians, and then I'm just going to accidentally be in there. <laughs> so, um, but I would really like to thank all the people that make our show a possibility. That's our fantastic uh, producer, Danielle Jones, Wesley, our amazing sound engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, um, and all of the wonderful people at HeadGum. Our theme music is written by Gabby as always, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show. You can send us an email at, fake the nation at headgum.com with any ideas you have about the show. And don't forget to join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Farsad. If you want, you know, um, free bonus episodes of the show uh, for as little as $4 a month, you can get that and... There's more bonuses after you know after that tier, so check out uh, Patreon.com/slash Farsad. and we will be back in your earballs next week.
3: That was a Headgum podcast.